at uh, political pundits today on Nine to Noon. Uh, ben Thomas, former National Government Press Secretary, a columnist and a director of the public affairs firm Capital. Kia ora, Ben. Kia ora, Brian. And Dale Husband, long-time broadcaster and radio Watea presenter hosting a Māori-focused current affairs programme. Kia ora, Dale. Te nākoe, te nākoe, Brian. Good to talk with you, man. Good to have you on, Dale. Let's start with Waitangi and whether the tension there today, which we've been broadcasting about on Morning Report, is any more or any less than you expected given the recent events. Well, no more than I expected, really. Uh, uh, our people have, have mobilised here. But really, you know, the event across a number of days... Uh, has a lot of celebratory mode too. I've been speaking of those involved in the uh, waka culture and 50 years on since the famous uh, waka was launched up there. Uh, Many young people making their way through and I think a lot of parents uh, welcome their tamariki to get involved because they can see the dynamics at play. It's quite a learning environment for them. We've had rangatahi tents and even this morning Tamapotaka and Shane Jones were grilled by young people. That was before the official welcome, which is happening about now, Brian. But um, look, at this stage, I think it's been uh, conducted with a a bit of class, thousands of people there, and um, we are reminded that the political focus is but one element of the annual Waitangi uh, gathering. But, um, you know, amidst concern, there's also a lot of positivity, and the unity that's being expressed by Ngai Māori, I think, has been... Really uh, interesting and one of the highlights thus far of what's been happening at Waitangi. It may change in the next 10 or 15 minutes, though, to be honest, Brian. Yeah, yeah so I, haven't got the t- I haven't got the telly on here yet. And um, nor have we. <laughs> what's the significance, Dale, of the white flags that Tamaiti has asked people? Well, it, it, um, it conjures up images of Alabama, doesn't it? But uh, he says there's no real relation there, although... Tamir's uh, artistic and theatrical practices are very well known, and so he will take any opportunity to make a point. Interestingly, Brian, uh, he put a call out, who would like to come to Waitangi with me? And hundreds of people uh, put their names forward. Um, you know, for a guy who has uh, been polarised over the years as uh, public enemy number one at times and has done time for his uh, political convictions and most of New Zealand's prisons, he was telling me at some stage. You know, he's he's also got a lovely um, uh, side to him that most New Zealanders don't recognise. He's artistic, he's musical, and uh, he is, as we know, uh, one of the very early members of Ngā Tour. So he's a, a polarising character to some, but much loved by uh, many across the country. So, yeah, he said it was just uh, uh, getting something different and um, it certainly looks a bit different too with the white flags and white white robes that he's chosen for his artistic and theatrical uh, uh, perspective to be on show at Waitangi this year, Brian. Ben, how much of a challenge is this for Prime Minister Chris Luxon? Well, it's certainly a challenge. He's got to try and get uh, his political agenda back on track for the year. Uh, it's really been derailed so far by... Uh, you know, in the months bef- in the month before Christmas, I think by New Zealand First and their coalition agreements, um, and then ACT sort of reseized the momentum over summer with their Treaty Principles Bill, and th- that's really been in the spotlight politically. Uh, there's a real onus on Luxon, I think, to uh, present a positive vision 
uh, both for the government as a whole and also for his relationship with Māori. Um, I think this will focus on some pretty well-trod areas for him, uh, his wish for more devolution, more trusting uh, iwi to provide frontline services. Um, but I think very important that he frames this in a positive way. Uh, we heard sort of reports that he, you know, quote-unquote laid down the widow at the meeting with the iwi leaders group, um, talking about school absenteeism and kind of you know, sort of put it, putting putting the burden on the iwi leaders uh, for that when, you know, you know, in that assembled group, you know, they would be thinking, well, actually, these are just more of the poor social indicators uh, that are the result of the Crown's treaty breaches over the years. Um, you know, why are we being held to account for that? Um, you know, because the flip side of devolution, localism, uh, and trusting, uh, you know, frontline iwi uh, providers is that the resourcing has to go along with that. Um, and, you know, if we hear more about that, I think, uh, and, and more about, you know, the partnership approach that the government wants to take in terms of services, um, then I think it could be a success today. How significant has the pan Māori response, especially to the... Uh, Seymour legislation, the Act legislation, especially the thousands who attended the hui set up by Kingi Tuhaitia at Turanga Waiwai. How much has that had on the government, especially the National Party part of that government? Well, they would say, see it as a huge distraction um, from the agenda that they want to pursue. You know, Christopher Luxon didn't come into politics wanting to pick a fight with Māori. Uh, Christopher Luxon, you know, by his own words, wanted to come in and, uh, <coughs> you know, really assist Māori to deliver for their people uh, by, I think in the past he said, you know, turbocharging iwi, you know, boosting iwi, partnering with iwi uh, on, on, you know, services on the front line. But that hasn't been the conversation that we've been having. The conversation has been about Act's treaty bill, uh, you know, and... And, and National has been caught in a bit of a sort of you know, rock and a hard place with that because, you know, the good faith demanded by the uh, coalition agreements means that National won't come out and say explicitly, we're not going to continue this past uh, the first reading in the select committee. We'll kill it dead. Um, they've intimated that strongly, but they can't provide the assurances that a lot of people are looking for for that reason. And that does seem at the moment really national. It's been quite good at saying, okay, these are the things from the previous government we won't do, whether it's light rail or big rail ferries. But in terms of new stuff, it's been maybe New Zealand First and Act dominating the media. I mean, we just the other day had the situation where the police minister was saying, okay, we probably can't get as many police as we said we could, then overruled by the Prime Minister, probably because of discussions he'd had with New Zealand First, Ben. Well, yeah, and the same principle applies. So what we're seeing is this tension between the three partners um, and, you know, in the same way that National and New Zealand First have sort of intimated but then had to walk back that they would kill the Treaty Principles Bill Stone Cold Dead at its second reading. Uh, they had to walk that back because they need to be seen as sort of united, pursuing the goals of the coalition, at least at this early stage, and supporting that bill to first reading is part of the coalition agenda. And and the police numbers, the same issue. Mark Mitchell, probably being honest, said, look, we're probably not going to get the 500 extra police, but within two years, it'll probably be three years. Well, New Zealand First would have got on the phone and said, look, the policy is still two years. You know, the police briefing to the incoming minister said it's unlikely to be achieved in two years. It'll probably be three years. 
but the policy remains we'll get it done in two years, whether that's realistic or not. And the parties, you know, there has to be a bit of unfortunately cognitive dissonance when you have uh, three parties who actually do believe different things about a lot of different issues, uh, but do have an agreed agenda. Um, and that is proven a little difficult for the three to manage. Dale, what did you make of, of the Associate Health Minister, Casey Costello, and the remarks she may or may not have made uh, about excise on tobacco not keeping up with inflation? Yeah, um, Casey's an interesting way in there, there's no doubt about it, uh, with New Zealand First, the ex-police, and um, I don't think that the Māori community are as um, hoha with politicians for misslips and mistimings. Uh, she's a newbie, and so I think our people will cut Casey uh, some slack. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that we're talking about police coppers. I mean, in, in the Māori world, this is not uh, priority number one. Houses, education, real growth, confidence, these are the issues that Māori want to see advancing. And just touching on Ben's point too, a chance to speak with the Iwi Leaders Forum was lost there by uh, Luxon because he he's concentrating on attendance at schools. I've, I've interviewed plenty of educators who are obviously dismayed because in, in one breath uh, coming out of Wellington, are we going to have more focus on New Zealand history? We're going to have more focus on Real Māori? And then all of a sudden, no, it's reading, writing and arithmetic and no phones. And then to, the goal to say... The attendance is because of, or to intimate that it's because of Māori parents or some sort of uh, errant attitude from Māori kids. You know, it, it doesn't point to the fact that often these schools aren't set up to accommodate what they need at this time. I mean, even nine to three was set up to accommodate teachers' availability, wasn't it? When learning could easily be 10 through six or whatever. But what we're seeing is uh, a lot of disconnect for many young Tawira Māori students. Uh, that's not mirrored in the real Māori approaches. You could have kaupapa, whare wānanga, etc., Brian, where the results, the academic results that are coming from those tamariki are exceptional. And so I think a lost opportunity here, the crux of what needed to be spoken to to the Iwi Leaders Forum, how can we empower more of our people? How can we excite our tamariki about school? Not denigrating parents for the uh, attendance records, which are of concern, but uh, I think the answers are lying in the way we operate our kura rather than necessarily pointing the finger at parents who have got it wrong. Ben, do you think Casey Costello is going to be the first casualty, ministerial casualty, of this coalition government? Uh, no, I, I don't think she will be because I think uh, the Prime Minister is in, in an invidious position when it comes to ministers uh, within his coalition partners as opposed to his own ministers from the National Party. Uh, we saw um, during the Labour New Zealand First government that uh, you know ministers would often sort of say things about different communities or or get into certain issues uh, where the Prime Minister simply would not act and would say that it was for uh, her deputy, Winston Peters, to you know look after his own caucus and, and keep his own ministers in line. Um, that's despite the Cabinet manual saying that it's uh, for the Prime Minister. Look, she... she <laughs> Casey Costello did ask for some some advice uh, about 
uh, I think was it pausing the excise tax increases on cigarettes. Um, I, I think, you know, the material thing is that the excise went up anyway. I mean, I think, you know, from a personal point of view, and I, I just want to say, you know, I, I work doing government relations, I don't do tobacco clients, and I never have. Uh, but from a personal point of view, I can, you know, I would, I think there's absolutely arguments to support a pause on excise taxes. If people are still smoking daily at $45 a pack, I don't know that $47 a pack is going to be the smoke-free panacea uh, that you want, um, you know, before well, Christmas. Well, the, the issue of, of, of tobacco becoming more of a black market commodity, which is money for the criminal underworld, is an issue, regardless of whether it might be something tobacco companies push or not. Maybe Costello should have been more upfront rather than starting to, starting to say, well, maybe I didn't write that. It was somebody else, some other mystery person who wrote that bit in that document. Yeah, it was a bit strange. This, this uh, five pages of policies of sort of provenance unknown, you know, unknown authors as, as if it's sort of the books of the Bible. And that's what makes people suspicious, on. Ben. It's um, when we get suspicious with that kind of carry on. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you wouldn't find the argument that the cigarette companies are really suffering coming from many other people. Um, that that's what seems to be one that's unique to New Zealand first and the cigarette companies themselves. But uh, look, you know, can you point to any, uh, you know, actual wrongdoing here? Um, it, it, if, if the tobacco companies were exerting any undue influence, it obviously didn't get them the excise tax pause that they wanted. I mean, that's, you know, that's a hy- purely hypothetical. You know, you're looking at the outcome here, which is that excise taxes increased. Uh, there's certainly, you know, there's no smoking gun here. So, I, I mean, so on two levels, the practical level, which is I actually think some of the coalition partner ministers have a much higher threshold of misbehaviour before they will be removed uh, because of the realities of coalition government. Uh, but actually... You know, even in the sense of, does she deserve to be sacked? Probably not. Dale. Brian, um, the the smoking issue, and having spoken with Winston about it too, he says that, uh, uh, and on Māori radio, he says that Māori have paid $11.5 billion in taxes for, okay, there's been a reduction in Māori smoking rates, but just up and up and up with the prices uh, hasn't, necessarily been hitting the mark in the ways that had been hoped. And what we're talking about, uh, did she, when did she, uh, who wrote, um, the issue here is uh, Māori are incensed by this move, uh, even though uh, Winston and New Zealand First feel that it's justified uh, because that it will result in more people dying of lung cancer. And as we know, the stats don't point positively uh, for Māori, where smoking rates remain high. But that is a case too. In many colonised peoples, many First Nations peoples, uh, smoking rates are higher than the norm. So it's a, it's a really interesting area, but I don't know that it's so much about what Casey Costello did or didn't do or when she did or didn't do it. Uh, more so, uh, uh, just how can we maintain this focus on getting more people uh, off the cigarettes, and uh, and New Zealand First don't believe it's by constantly raising prices. James Shaw is going to step down as co-leader of the Greens Party. Dale, what do you think his legacy is? You know, James was a, you know, he was a committed guy, and uh, he brought a different dimension into the Greens representation. Uh, the uh, co-leadership with Marama. Um, meant that they had a nice double act there for a time, but it was a very difficult portfolio that he was given. There were many climate change 
deniers. Certainly when I think back on the ETS, its effect on Māori foresters, there were carbon credits, then there weren't, and it's been a vexed issue across uh, a a decade. Um, Look, a solid guy with a good heart who did his best, but you can't keep banging up against a brick wall, uh, which I think is what he was finding. So uh, in politics... You step aside and bring on some It's the time for our youth, and maybe that's what we're seeing here. I, I can't fault Marama D. I think that she's represented the party extremely well over the last uh, six or so years, and it's going to be interesting to see who she partners up with. But uh, I'd put my thumbs up and say, hey, thanks, James, you did what you could. There's more to be done, obviously, but he's passing the reins over. Ben, he did get through the Zero Carbon Act. And that was that, across the whole parliament. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's his legacy. Um, it is the most significant legacy that the Green Party has uh, left in legislation. Um, you know, prior to Shaw and his time in, uh, as a minister, uh, which was the first time that the Green Party had ministers in a government, um, you know, it really was sort of uh, one-off kind of members bills, you know, Sue Bradford, the the fighter, managed to get three members bills through. So previously the most effective Green MP. But in terms of actually advancing the Greens core agenda, you know, particularly in terms of, you know, climate change, the the biggest existential threat uh, to humanity, uh, you know, he managed to find consensus, which, you know, he readily admitted was not what he would regard as perfect. Um, it was a compromise, but, you know, compromise is necessary. On this, it remains to on be seen issue. whether real emissions will come down, though, doesn't it? Well, that remains, a, 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 you know, that remains a question across the world. Um, you know, the, the signs are good at this stage. Uh, you know, all the major parties, uh, you know, have signed up to the Zero Carbon Act uh, and say that they will respect the emissions budget. Um, and, you know, that, that's what they can do at this stage. Um, you know, in, in terms of the electability, I think that might have been a little bit overstated. Um, the Greens were popular with um, middle class, sort of leafy suburbs people before Shaw became the leader, and they continued to be popular with them afterwards. Uh, you know, James Shaw was very popular with uh, business types. Um, and I don't necessarily think that increased their vote at all, but it did make it easier to sort of, you know, consult on issues, get the messages through. Well, there, there's a thing, Dale, throwing back to you. So you mentioned Marama Davidson, but um, we're in South Auckland, where our family home is in Papatoitoi, you couldn't vote for a Green Party candidate. At the moment, the Greens are a middle-class party, and whether there's enough of people from people of a poorer background and also people of Māori background and the party for it to be a realistic alternative for those who aren't middle class, Dale? I think there's still a, a resonance of the um, of the Green Party uh, goal or uh, their tucky what they're trying to advance and there are many Māori who warm to that environmental arm of the Greens. We have seen them come more centre ground, haven't we, with their commentary on taxes and also Tetsriti uh, and uh, housing education. Did the so, Elizabeth Kari Kari affair damage the Greens' relationship with Māori in a no, significant I way? So. No, I, I don't think so. Uh, Elizabeth wasn't one of the, one of the uh, prominent faces. She was a bit of an add-on. I, I'd say that respectfully to Elizabeth, who I've spoken with many times. And so, no, I don't think that that was overly damaging. Uh, I think that they have built up and will retain their place in the parliamentary mix, 
for some time ahead. And um, it's been quite frustrating, I think, for, for, for Māori. You know, they're not hollow words, this protection of Papatūnuku and certainly the waterways, which we see akin as to veins in our bodies, uh, you know, taking away some of the protections to turn you back onto Mano or Tawai uh, will come with consequences. And there are many Māori voters, I think, who warm to the green message. And as I say, with Marama at the helm, and I guess uh, Chloe would be uh, most in line to, to team up with her, I think that they'll, uh, they'll maintain their uh, uh, position within Parliament uh, for many years to come. So, um, you know, out in Papatoitoi, uh, in the south side, there, there is support for the Greens, and um, uh, I think having a, a Māori co-leader there, as has been the case for all, Tāno Tuiona is batting well. They've got a very strong Māori caucus, the Greens. Uh, there'll be uh, many who will vote that way in the elections to come. Yeah, and I think that if Chloe Swarbrick is sort of you know anointed co-leader, uh, which I, th- I think anointed. is you know which I, I think most people sort of seem to be accepting will be the case, uh, that's a huge opportunity for the Greens. You know, the single most important determinant for the Greens vote tends to be how is Labour going. Uh, they're sort of counter-cyclical to Labour when Labour is weak. The Greens are strong. Right now, Labour is weak. Uh, it has a Prime Minister who never really sort of stamped his authority on the position uh, or even a vision for his own party, Chris Hipkins. No real prospects in sight for a better replacement. Uh, Chloe Swarbrick, you know, mm. whatever you think of her politics, uh, she is genuinely across policy. She's genuinely articulate, charismatic. Uh, she's as at home in, you know, these sort of activist circles as she is in parliamentary select committees. Um, and there is a huge opportunity for the, uh, for the Greens uh, to really eat into that Labour vote and become sort of the, the preeminent opposition party. Well, she had become the de facto opposition leader in a way that maybe David Seymour did in Nashville's troubled times during the early part of the um, response to the pandemic. Yeah, I, I would have thought that that would be... I mean, she's talking about a, a Green-led government, which I think is, you know, a, another couple of steps on. But I think the, the first step would be to become the kind of go-to opposition leader spokesperson, um, which, you know, Chloe Swarbrick, she's almost a bit of a throwback, you know, in, a, in an age of kind of uh, bullet-pointed talking points and, you know, your three key messages and whatever in interviews. Um, she's somebody who uh, is both articulate enough and confident enough to try and persuade the public in full sentences um, to level with people about what policies are actually all about. Um, you know, if you, she's often compared to Jacinda Ardern, and Ardern, you know, incredibly charismatic, incredibly uh, good communicator, but never really delved into the policy nitty-gritty in her discussions. You know, it, was, it, all, it always did sort of stay at that kind of level of feeling and emotion a lot of the time, and, except for sort of maybe parts of the COVID pandemic, uh, whereas, you know, Swarbrick, you know, can really get into the nuts and bolts, and, you know, she does that, you know, even on morning TV shows. Um, so I think huge opportunity for the Greens. Yeah, and Chloe and Hannah bring a youthfulness into our political environment that has... Uh, really been starved of it. Um, the amount of young Māori that were excited by Hana's candidacy and and now her success, I think argues well for uh, Māori politics going forward. And I think the same can be said of Chloe Swarbrick, who, remember, stood for the mayoralty here in Auckland, although she had uh, no chance of winning. 
uh, when she was 21. So this excites many of our rangatahi and young people who have felt sort of squeezed out as though the whole political scene has been, uh, continues to be dominated by suit-wearing guys in their 60s. So it's a really healthy injection of young political thinking and activism that these uh, two young MPs are providing uh, to Wellington. Dale, Ben, kia ora korua. Thanks for your time today. Thank you, Brian. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. That's Ben Thomas, former National Government Press Secretary, columnist and director of the public affairs firm Capital, and our other pundit today, Dale Husband, long-time broadcaster and radio Watea presenter.